Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back. I'm here with my friend, with our friend, Carlos Steele, um, the founder of Atelier, and we are here to talk about Carol Christian Powell, um, a podcast episode brought to you by popular demand because people have been asking. So we said, why not? And uh, Atelier was one of the major stockists for uh, Carol Christian Powell's work. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person um, to speak about Powell than Carlos. So welcome. Hey, Eugene. Good morning. Yeah. Um, so I want to start with something we already talked about briefly. Um, and here I want you will, I want to talk about, of course, the work of Carol, uh, but also sort of the legacy and the history and what it has become as opposed to what it was at the beginning, because it's acquired, uh, it's always had a cult following, but now it's acquired some kind of a strange life of its own, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which is quite amazing. Um, but we'll talk about that as well. But uh, I want, can you tell us again for the purpose of this episode, how you encountered uh, Carol's work for the first time and, and, and what it spoke, you know, what it said to you? Yeah, yeah. So it was in um, one of those, um, I saw a photograph of his work uh, and it was in a trade magazine for menswear. This was, uh, I think, either 1997 or 1998. And um, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the magazine, but um, there was a photograph of, of, a picture of his work, of Carol's work, and there was a circle drawn around it with uh, two arrows pointing at it um, in mockery, basically, uh, with a caption akin to, would you be caught dead in this? And I think that had something to do with the sort of uh, extreme proportions that he was proposing at the time, primarily the shoulders. Um, I was... Uh, I answered that question with an unequivocal yes, I would be caught dancing. <laughs> <laughs> or alive. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a jacket uh, as, as beautiful as that. Um, but it wasn't until the, a year later that I actually saw his work um, in person. And uh, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and um, I was in a band, and we were touring the, um, the West Coast. And uh, we went to Los Angeles and I went to Maxfield and I saw one of his, um, I saw several pieces there, but there was one piece in particular which really stood out. It was sort of this um, crombie coat um, uh, cut in his usual style, very long, very narrow. And uh, I tried it on and I was uh, really smitten by the the rigor uh, that was involved with the the cut of this particular jacket. Also, it uh, it fit me like a glove because at the time I was very very slim, and um, yeah, I, it was sort of 
um, shocking to see someone uh, propose such narrow proportions for men. Um, you know, yeah, there were only a few designers on the scene that were actually um, proposing a type of ultra slim silhouette for men at that time. Raph Simmons being one of them, helmet lying to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, we're talking about like what, 99, 2000? Uh, no, when I. Uh, that was 98. 98. Okay. 98, yeah. Okay. Okay. And do you remember how the work looked from... How different was it from what we've seen now? Because obviously it's evolved over the years and the pictures that are floating around, you know, they're not the work that you saw. Uh, no, they aren't. Um you know, what was interesting um, about uh, seeing Carol's work um, for the first time was that you could sense the hand. Even though there was um, an industrial process, of course, because, you know, clothing manufacturing is an, indu- an industrial process, um, there, was, um, a, uh, there was a tactility to his clothing, which you could sense before actually um, touching the garment. Uh, The other designer at that time where you could sense uh, the hand was uh, Carpe Diem. Mm -hmm. And so they both had this kind of sensibility where although they were industrially produced, um, there was something of a, um, yeah, tactility is the only term I can use to describe. So, you know, his clothing stood out on the rack um, within a sea of other garments. You know, um, I didn't go to this store, which was Maxfield, by the way, looking for Carol Christian Pope. I was um, drawn to... Um, what I saw, uh, which stood out uh, within a sea of sort of, I guess the term is flatness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was a, there was a richness that was there, um, yeah. not to be confused with a kind of prettiness because it wasn't pretty. Um, mm-hmm. and nor was it ornate, um, but it was incredibly rich. Yeah. And so I guess even back then already, richness came from the texture and the shape. Uh, and I understand exactly what you're saying that juxtaposed about, uh, against, you know, the in- industrially produced clothes. I could see how you say there is a flatness to them, but there is definitely volume in Poel. It, it's when you look in his clothes on the rack, which requires space. It, it is mm-hmm. because of the three dimensionality, mm-hmm. um, and there's also you could almost feel a body inside of them already. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that probably has a lot to do with uh, uh, his, his tailoring techniques. I mean, you know, his constructions are quite rigid and um, it, it, you know, they can almost stand up without a person. Um, yeah. And that kind, and I think that really sort of speaks to his um, his tailoring skills. A lot of it has to do with this richness. Also, has a lot to do with um, experimentation when it comes to the materials that are used. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, uh, I remember my first encounter with Powell, uh, which I had to recall because I went back doing the research for this podcast, I started rereading uh, the Carol Christian Paul thread on Stahl's Zeitgeist forum uh, until I realized, well, there are 550 pages or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to like page 25. <laughs> uh, but I did find a story that I completely forgot about uh, where I saw Paul for the first time. And turned out it was at the library in London. Mm-hmm. And I was describing trying on a pair of pants, which were completely reversible, including mm-hmm. you could take out the, you had to take out the buttons and switch them around. And one side was denim and the other one was formal pants. And that level of construction just blew me away. Then um, they caused some ridiculous money at the time which of course i couldn't afford them but but i remember coming away with seeing something absolutely new mm-hmm. you know and absolutely modern um and it spoke to me on so many levels obviously from the artifact itself which was so mind-blowingly constructed but also to the way uh, we were dressing, I don't know, circa 2005, where you could go from an office to a party, <laughs> no spans, just by turning them inside out. Absolutely. And, and I don't think I've ever seen reversible pants in my life before that. I've seen reversible jackets, of course, but I don't recall seeing a pair of reversible pants uh, either before or since, if I actually think about it. Um, um, Undercover did a collection that was, com- everything was completely reversible. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And yes. I, I don't recall if that was um, before or after you saw those trousers, but hmm. that's the only other, um, the only other time that I've seen garments, you know, nearly all garments that are completely reversible. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, just like you remember, uh, you know, the narrowness of the silhouette was quite new. Like you said, we actually weren't dressing that way. I, and, I, and I think it's a bit of, uh, you know, which, which we do now, of course, uh, the silhouette has become much more slim. Um, but I, I agree that Powell was kind of a trailblazer and, and on in his own small level because, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is actually Powell being a designer's designer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, if I think about it, he is not exactly off fashion. You know, it's, it's not so he has a cult following. 
but there is not, you know, he's not someone who I would say, you know, he changed the direction of fashion or direction of even menswear, I would say, you know, maybe very inadvertently, but it's not someone who comes up in the books, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh-huh. he, he's, he's outside of fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't come up in the same sentences like Helmut or Ralph or Margiela would. No, no, no. Um, I think there are a few reasons for that. Okay, so but I want to go back, Eugene, to you, you talking about those completely reversible trousers that were... Um, you, you walked away feeling that you had seen something completely new. Um you know, that speaks to this idea of newness um, happening in um, by degrees and in very subtle ways, as opposed to the shock of the new, you know, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, here's a jacket with three sleeves. I've created something new. Um, right. you, you may have, but it's also completely useless. Yeah. What, whereas, um, um, Powell um, was a true modernist um, in terms of um, construction and and, and tailoring and experimentation. And the newness was there, but it was a sort of a newness that had to be discovered. It was a very subtle newness. One of the reasons why I think that um, Powell doesn't uh, come up in the history books is because we do appreciate um, his silhouette, um, which is basically the um, saddle-shaped shoulder, um, the very high armhole, and the very narrow silhouette. Um, But there were others that were also working within that vocabulary. In terms of the shoulder, you had Margiela, um, who was doing it for women. Um, in terms of the, the narrowness, um, you had Helmut Lang and you had Raph Simmons, um, mm-hmm. although it was pretty early for Raph during that time. If we're going to talk about the, the late 90s, basically. I think yeah. Raph's first show was in 95, 96, uh, the video presentation. So um, so there were others that were, were pushing this very, very uh, slim silhouette. So, But the difference between... Um, Carol, Margiela, and Raph is that Raph and Margiela took their silhouette to the mainstream, whereas Carol did not. Um, It sort of became this niche cult um, um, thing and sort of remained there for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite honestly, I think that in terms of technique and um, experimentation and garments that are about garments, I actually think that Carol Christian Paul is on par with Margiela. Yeah. Yeah. I do believe, I think that there are very few designers that we can say are artists. Mm -hmm. And I would tentatively say that he is one of them. Yeah. I agree. You know, in terms of uh, the way he approaches his work, 
th there is an element of artistry in it, uh, e even though yes, I'm, I'm also would, I'm also very careful about uh, calling any kind of fashion art. Uh, well, 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 I, I want to interject here. You know, um, I'm not saying the fashion is art. I'm saying that there is an artist creating fashion. That's what I mean. Right. Right. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And then absolutely, there's a, there there is an element of that. Of course, if we also consider that art is also the making of artifacts in a certain manner. Mm -hmm. and fashion is making of artifacts in a certain manner and Powell's manner does approach art on some level because there is so much uh, well there is first of all craft and the artisanal aspect of it and then there is also the thoughtfulness that goes into the garments um, yeah and also, which cannot be um, overstated, the concept. The concept, you know, yeah. concept, yeah, absolutely. Um, which becomes, you know, very, very apparent in his presentations. You know, there's, um, we also, you know, I, I, I'm just realizing this right now that, you know, there is always a bit of the surreal in uh, Carol's work. Um, which is very similar to Margiela. I'm just yeah. realizing that right now. Uh, um, there was always a touch of the macabre, too, with uh, yeah. Carol. And um, I'm not saying that that necessarily equates an artist or, um, or that it makes his work art. But I think that, you know, having an, a sensibility of infusing his garments with um, with the macabre shows um, a certain knowledge that goes beyond just mere clothing. Yeah. I guarantee you, especially, obviously, the fact that given that he, uh, Carol is Austrian, is that he must have read a shitload of Kafka in his day. <laughs> and I, I think you can see that in the work. It, it's, yeah. it's, if I think about it, this is, his is the most Kafkaesque work that I have seen of any fashion designer, probably. Mm -hmm. Because there is, like you said, there is a sense of the macabre. There is definitely, there is a lot of edge in that work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost uncomfortable to look at on some level. You know, if we talk about um titanium joints and the overlock seams yeah i think they're meant to make you feel uncomfortable and but that's what also gives them life and uh and that, that to me that to me is the kafkaesque element of the work and what i love about carol and what i don't think anyone else was doing in the time and since the only person i can think of is maybe rick owens who have done something similar but poel's edge and the macabre a lot of it comes from tailoring and that's what i found very interesting always in the world because when we think about tailoring we think 
usually either Savile Row, you know, or Naples, right, or Giorgio Armani. We never really think, you know, when we hear the word edge, we think leather, you know, rubber, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But he has been able to fuse all those elements. Of course, there is a lot of leather as well. But there is a formality, you know, it's not a rock and roll edge, but it's actually, if I think about it, it it's kind of beyond the rock and roll edge. Um, yeah, um, I'm going to jump in there. Um, you know, by all um, means, I'm on a roll here with the comparisons with between um, Marshall and Poe in that there is they both explore this idea of the trompe l'oeil, mm-hmm. you know, where things are not quite what they seem. And, you know, from a distance, it's interesting you mentioned um, how Poe's work requires um, space. And I, and I agree, I think 100%, it does require space because it what is being conveyed is not always immediate. And so um, you're right about the, the, you know, the, the, the formality, but that formality also can be shockingly and at times disturbingly um, unexpected. Mm-hmm. So from a distance, you know, you would not see the titanium elbows. Right. Up close, you will. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I think if we talk about comparing Marshall and Powell, there is also, you know, both uh, designers uh, resolutely about the garment itself. It's mm-hmm. almost like everything mm-hmm. else comes secondary. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's about what we can, what does the garment represent? how we can highlight the garment itself. And while with Margiela it was more about the construction, I think with Powell it's more kind of like breathing life into the garments, literally, you know, that they are, like we said, a lot of them have a three-dimensional feel. Uh, and they're almost, mm-hmm. they sort of, they, 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 they come uh, with the body of their own, so to speak. And and you sort of, uh, they sort of borrow your body. And uh, it's for the one of the reasons why, like, I mean, I've never worn Powell really. And I think that's been one of the reasons besides that I don't really have the body type for it. But I've rarely seen someone in Powell that looked nonchalant. There is, you know, the. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the moment you put it on, there is there is almost a tension between your body and the garment. Yeah. Yeah. Un- un- unquestionably. You know, you know, um, um, Paul's work is um, investigative. And um, uh, just as you made the comparison between um, Margiela and Paul, um, you're right. They both of them propose fashion about garments. Okay, they are not out to 
um, create a woman or a man. They create the garment and then the woman or the man finds the garment. And that's who becomes, you know, the pole man or the Margiela woman. But it starts with the garments first. It's investigative. Um, Paul's work is um, unquestionably, without a doubt, rooted in the uniform, meaning military. So um, it is designed to give you um, a certain posture. Um, you cannot look nonchalant in his clothing. Um, because mil military uniforms don't allow that. Um, right. It's about being, um, you know, um, adroit and, um, you know, um, imposing and, um, you know, um, erect. And he infuses all of that um, into his garments. But they are not military uniforms. You know, it's just the essence. Right. And, um, um, you know, his investigation into tailoring, this idea of trying to breathe, you know, uh, resuscitate um, uh, tailoring and making it modern and um, applicable to today um, was quite revolutionary because, you know, um, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a real wane uh, when it came to tailoring. I think that was sort of like the beginning of where there was a real relaxing of, of what people wore. And so, you know, the, the suit sort of became this kind of perfunctory uniform that you only wore when you had to. It was, you know, one could, you know, be you know, ultra radical um, by donning a three-piece suit and walking down Broadway in 2003. I mean, that was a radical act. You just didn't do it. So, you know, it was reserved for bankers, basically, people on Wall Street, which, of course, Eugene, yeah. you know all about. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Um, so. This is, this is I, yeah, <laughs> and I haven't worn a suit since. <laughs> So, yeah, you're like, don't remind me. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> this idea of, of 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 you know bringing it back and bringing it back in such a strong, um, um, rigorous way, um, yeah, is is to be supposed to be applauded you know i've i have tremendous respect for the suit and i think that was one of the um reasons why i was so drawn to his work hmm it's because it, it was rooted in tailoring right you know right. this the suit is not a uniform that should ever be taken lightly i agree yeah I agree. And I, even though I don't wear suits anymore, I have tremendous respects for tailoring uh, because in I, I feel in a way that a suit is actually the final destination for any man's wear maker. I love uh, that. And I, I love I, that so much, Eugene. I love that so much. Yeah. 
Thank you. And and I I remember actually just a little tangent, you know, when, when Rick Cohen started menswear and doing the men's and we were all enamored with it. I remember saying clearly on the forum, I want to see Rick do tailoring because that will be the final test of him as a menswear designer. And I was curious because I knew it was obviously beyond conventional. And I'm not taking credit for it, but lo and behold, you know, after all the leathers and the jeans and um, the tailoring started to appear in Rick and I, and it was so brilliant in its own very way. But yeah, this is simply to say that I, that I do think that a tailored suit is sort of the final testament for any menswear designer uh, to do because it's also kind of the most complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a saying in, in the industry that, you know, um, if you can do tailoring, you'll never be without a job. You know, creative directors are the people that point. You know, um, if you can actually create a garment from scratch, then, you know, you will probably always be employed in this industry if you choose, if you choose to. Yeah. And oh, yeah. by the way, um, <laughs> Rick's... Um, tailoring initially was a, a bit bumpy. I, I think <laughs> yeah. he would also ad admit that as well. So, you know, things yeah. started to become um, um, tight, I would say, probably around 2006, where things mm -hmm. started to really fall into place, you know. But there were, there were yeah. a couple of, you know, um, she would say little minor hiccups. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I'll, uh, well... Rick said he's going to come on the podcast, so we'll we'll talk about that. Um, Yay. But yeah, yeah, it will be fun. Uh, but you know, going back to Powell's tailoring, exactly the tremendous amount of respect of what he's been able to do. And I remember the first time I interviewed you, which was the first articles I have ever written, Carla. It was a profile of you and Natalia, and we talked about Powell briefly, and you said, this is a designer who is literally breathing new life into a corpse. And that's exactly how it felt. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he was, he has taken tailoring to into new territory and he, he really has given it an edge that no one else has. And that macabre feeling, like you said, and I think it comes from all the elements from the rigidity, from over the overlock stitching, uh, from the way he exposed the inside of the garments, which is something I think that should be noted, right? Instead of using lining, he sort of exposed the, you know, the horsehair bit and the construction. And that was his little deconstructionist moment uh, as well. Yeah, but uh, brilliant. And of course, he complimented yeah, with yeah. some of the craziest leather we have seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unquestionably, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, this idea of exposing the inner workings, you know, linings are meant to be anonymous. You know, mm -hmm. um, the interior of a jacket is meant to be the utmost in discretion. And he, by simply ripping the skin off and exposing the inner workings, um, is a, you know, a very powerful gesture. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. So going back to um, the founding of Atelier, I remember you telling me that, that Poel was actually the first brand you secured for Atelier, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It and, was. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How did it go? I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, it was interesting. Um, so let's just say that I was um, um, virginal and very, very, very enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, the showroom director sort of had to put the brakes on and, <laughs> say, and take say, my money, you know, <laughs> please, you know, and, um, um, so yeah, they had to sort of step in and do some correcting. Um, and thankfully, thankfully, mm. um, so the, um, so my original budget was slashed by, I think, one third. Um, okay. And I'm happy about that because uh, they were right, because it was a very, you know, um, very distinct proposition. And we were new and it was something that that, that needed to be cultivated um, because of the subtleties and because of the um, also because of the, the, the fact that it was um, the intricacies. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, that was uh, that was my first um, my first buying experience on the deep end, definitely. Yeah, I remember seeing you. I one of the first times I saw you, I believe I don't know if you remember. I believe you were wearing like uh, what looked to me, and I think it was a Powell duffel coat but with buttons. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a cream color. Uh, I want to say yeah, it was I sort of like well. moleskin yeah. kind of a fabric. That's it, cotton moleskin. Yeah, 100%. And that's sort of that's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was uh, a beige and a moleskin. Yeah, a parka, basically fishtail, sort of a, with a sort okay. of a circular hem. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Oh, it was... Um, um uh incredibly uncomfortable to wear um <laughs> i <laughs> um uh i regretted the fact that it was beige so i had a professionally dyed black and it shrunk two sizes so <laughs> there goes that yeah <laughs> and um um but it was one of the first pieces that i that i actually um uh acquired by him, um, the, uh, the, the there were two pieces that sort of really stand out um, in my mind. Um, my early um, um, pieces were the twisted seam trousers, which mm-hmm. had um, such an incredible. Well, first of all, in terms of tailoring, it's it's, it's a feat of engineering. Okay, let's just put that out there right now. You know, I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. Um, I dare someone to attempt to do that trouser. I dare them. Um, It too was um, 
very, very, you had to make concessions. You really had to make concessions. Mm-hmm. It was not um, easy to sit down in those trousers. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, they also, um, it was a new way of walking. You had to learn how to walk, um, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a new way. Um, and I also had um, a pair of stapled um, Chelsea boots, um, which had a four-layer leather sole. And the shoe, I had them both in um, uh, black, and I had them in sort of a speckled peach and silver. And um, and the, the triple sole did not allow the 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 shoe to bend Mm. so talking you know talk about you know not being nonchalant you know between the parka the trouser and those shoes (laughs) i mean you know at the end of the at the end of the day (laughs) you know it was like i would come home and i would be totally exhausted just wearing those clothes (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, there is something. Yeah, yeah, there is something a bit fascist in that work. You know, there there is something about it's so rigid that it 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 made you aware of what you're wearing, which can go either way. Uh, some people you never totally hate it. Yeah, and some people totally hate it, uh, but some people love it and I personally I go back and forth you know sometimes I want to wear something and forget that I'm wearing it and sometimes I want to be reminded actually yes there is a uh, incredible piece of fashion on my body and uh, I actually like being aware of that I will tell you something Eugene I've never worn um, a carol suit and not have been and have not been complimented, you know? Um, and it doesn't matter where I am. Um, mm-hmm. in particularly in Milan, you know, mm. um, and you would be surprised by some of the people that would compliment me, you know? It would be, you know, um, you know, um, gentlemen in their 60s that, um, mm-hmm. um, sort of had this inherent appreciation for sartorial skills, sartorial skills, um, which of course they would not be familiar with Carol Christian Paul at all, but they could sense the quality and the, um, the, the fact that those garments were sort of imposing a kind of posture and they could recognize it and um, and could appreciate it. So um, there. Yeah. And especially, I would say, in a young man. Yeah, absolutely. Whom, you know, young men are not accustomed to that. You know, there are certain, you know, there's a certain sector of society uh, with, with, with older men that this idea of going out of the house, you see this, especially in Europe, you know, without a jacket, it's just inconceivable, you know. And it was usually those type of people, especially in Italy, where they would, um, you know, compliment me, usually in Italian. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and I would have a sense of what they were 
what they were talking about. I mean, some would come <laughs> to me and talk to me and start to feel the jacket and, you know, and I would have to say, Signore, you know, <laughs> I, I don't speak English. I don't speak Italian. Um, but I, you know, one could get, you know, could understand what they were, what they were talking about. Hmm. Yeah. When do you think Powell became Powell that everyone knows him now? Uh, where, where their work has become sort of re very recognizable and then kind of actually stopped and has been the same for the past 12 years. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, probably around between 2003 and 2006. Okay, yeah. I was thinking with I 2004 think mainstream may... downstream. Um, quite possibly, quite possibly, yeah. which was... But sorry, uh... You know, um, an unforgettable, um, experience. I mean, I don't want to call mm -hmm. it a show. Yeah. Were a you presentation, there? A piece of theater. It was... Yeah, yeah. You know, I can remember being particularly, um, particularly cranky um, that day because, you see, normally when um, I have a very difficult time sleeping on planes, and so, um, you know, it's flying from New York to Milan, there was no rest, and usually I need just one day to just crawl into my coffin and close the lid over my head and die. And then the, the, the following day, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have that day of death. And so okay. I was feeling quite edgy um, standing on that bridge. And um, I remember thinking that it would be some sort of street performance that was going to take place. Because there, there were several people that were there and everyone was sort of looking around a bit um, confused. And someone said something about, look, look to the canal. And I remember looking and seeing, I saw a garment float by first. It was a jacket, I think. And I remember my heart sank. Now, mind you, you know, we're talking, you know, very limited sleep. And I thought, okay, well, this has been a really terrible accident. You know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on this bridge. I, you know, I, I you know, this is, this is going to be a, a really bad day. This is going to be a terrible start to fashion week. Um, <laughs> and, um, well, let me and just interject for a second, began, because we, we are talking about yeah. uh, something that we both know, but there are some people who may not know. Mainstream Downstream was a presentation by Powell where he sent garments and models are floating down a canal and there's a video of it on youtube that you can still see uh obviously i'll ask you carlo in a moment of your interpretation of what that meant uh but go on sorry i did not mean to interrupt you yeah no um it was um it was pretty wild regime you know so um yeah after that first garment came down there were a few more garments and then and then the people the models started to float down the river and it was really quite the, you know, bravo moment. Um, however, I don't recall anyone actually 
cheering or applauding. Um, I think that there was a, I think we were a bit, we were more stunned than anything. I tell you something, you know, um, the buy was interesting because, um, there was, there was a break between, uh, the show and then there was the prep for the showroom and then the showroom opened the day afterwards. And some of those samples were still wet. And honestly, Eugene, you know, the the softening from the from the water. There was a very interesting tension that ensued with the clothing because the clothing Mm -hmm. are constructed to be very sort of, as we discussed, you know, very rigid. And the water sort of took the edge off of that. I can remember specifically there was one jacket with a saddle-shaped shoulder, which was, you know, definitely strikes of a very, you know, stark silhouette. But the cotton material became sort of wrinkled and textured, and I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was fantastic. And I, I remember inquiring if whether or not we could actually get those garments as is. And um, unfortunately, it wasn't possible. So, they were like, well, yeah. you can pour some water on it yourself if you want. <laughs> which, which is exactly what I did with a pair of trousers. Um, so he designed these trousers that was sort of a hybrid between um a man's long john and a, and a traditional trouser. It's sort of like a button fly on the outside, these sort of ear flaps on the side for pockets, um, no back pockets, and a sort of a um, this little uh, bit of lacing that you could sort of contract the waist in the very back, um, which of course they were, they were very rigidly cut. But yeah, I put them in the, the bathtub and um, let them air dry and they were softer and I, Quite frankly, I, I, I like them uh, a bit more. Hmm. That's cool. Well, that's amazing that you were there because that's become sort of a legendary performance. And I remember seeing it for the first time and just seeing the name mainstream downstream. And I thought, what a powerful middle finger to the mainstream fashion industry. Um, yeah, literally sending it downstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, Eugene, um, you know, there's some things that we have to sort of take into consideration is that, you know, it's 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 great that, you know, we have such a tremendous appreciation for um Paul's um genius, let's just call it what it is. Um but I think it's a bit unfortunate that um, it sort of remained in this kind of cult position. Because I do believe with ideas as inventive as that, um, first of all, they will always have just a limited audience. They will, by the very nature. You know, they, they, they are too unconventional. It, it goes beyond tradition. Um, so it will never reach Broadway. Um, but, um, um, 
you know, it should reach Lafayette Street, <laughs> if I'm going to say right. that metaphorically. You know, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> or Crosby um, Street, you know, if it's, we can. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Crosby Street, yes, exactly. Crosby, Lafayette, you know, it should reach there because, um, you know, those are some really great ideas. And, and if we could have seen some of that explored um, in a sort of a, a mainstream way, I think that, you know, listen, uh, that this is all a very convoluted way of saying that I think that it's, uh, it's unfortunate that more people don't know his name. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but there was such a great cult explosion of it. And I remember when we started when I started Stalz, I guess in 2006, he was one of the most talked about designers and uh, obviously Atelier came up often because I believe at the time it was the only stockist. I think, you know, Barney's had the earlier work, but they dropped it. And same was with If. I think they had the earlier work and then they dropped it as well. And just I remember the, the kind of enthusiasm uh, those clothes created on the forum was really uh, incredible and really contagious. And those clothes weren't cheap at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking the pole leather was like hitting $5,000 mark at the time when you could buy a, a Recoins leather jacket for, you know, 2000 to 2500 So mm -hmm. these were really expensive clothes and they were just flying off your shelves mm -hmm. well well yeah you know um carol was our biggest account um you know uh the, the proof is in the, the pudding i mean i would i would just be you know um you know astounded um how rapidly such expensive and uh difficult to wear garments would just not have much of a shelf life. You know, mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, it was really quite surprising. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to go back a bit about the idea of the, you know, cult versus giving it a bit more, uh, you know, a, a wider audience, because I always find that subject fascinating. Uh, because uh, a cult following has become a topic we're not really actually allowed to discuss anymore uh, in a way that a cult presupposes a deep understanding of the work, where I think in the current world, uh, you know, everyone is allowed to uh, participate in whatever they choose to participate, whether or not they actually understand or have a deep appreciation um, of something and can commune around it. Uh, which on some level, of course, I think, okay, well, it's free world, anyone can do whatever they want as long as they're not harming others. But on the other hand, uh, 
it used to be, you know, when you met a person in Powell, or when you met a person in Rick, or when you met a person in Carpe Diem or whatnot, you sort of expected them to have that deeper understanding uh, that that goes beyond, you know, my ass looks good in that. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel there is something to be said about that. And I do think there was a point when Carol's name went outside of that cult. And I mean, I definitely saw people who wore the clothes because someone told them that's what you should wear because that's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, that tends to happen with um, almost anything that starts with um, a kind of a niche cult um, experience. Um, if it is, of course, strong. You know, um, let's, you know, talk about, let's say, for example, um, we talk about glam rock. You know, um, you didn't, you know, at the beginning, it was, there was sort of preaching to the cognoscenti. You know, we are talking about people who, you know, understood, you know, who, who has seen or read, you know, Clockwork Orange, um, you know, had an appreciation for the 1920s and the 1930s, um, you know, understood this the idea of the triumph of artifice, you know, understood that, you know, Bowie was actually making, and Roxy Music to a certain degree, were making um, um, statements about uh, gender and gender roles. Um, but at a certain point, you know, um, that sort of gives way to just pure enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, were it not for that, you know, um, Bowie and Roxy's records would not have gone mainstream. You know, if it would have just sort of remained with the, you know, early core, as it were. So that's the same with, um, you know, with, 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 with Carol, you know. Um, you know, it's, um, for, for, for me, it's okay. Um, mm -hmm. If if there isn't um, a, a a deeper understanding, um, and that there is sort of a a participation because one feels that there that it's the thing to do, because um, you have to remember that there are many 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 things that one can participate in that one would feel that is the thing to do, but yet they sort of landed on Carol Christian Paul. So yeah. for that, you know, there's a certain level of, of there's certainly a level of understanding and to a certain degree of appreciation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree to an extent. I The hope is, yes, that the elite gets less elitist, but that also that understanding of the word of, of understanding of the work widens with the audience itself, which which mm -hmm. doesn't mm -hmm. always happen, obviously. No, no, but 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 it does. You know, listen, Eugene. You know, there are obviously people who you know buying you know a, a pearl 
boot is going to be an, an awakening. Mm-hmm. That is going to happen. You know, um, where uh, some, you know, it's, you know, Yoshi Yamamoto said something very interesting once. He said, you know, buying a new jacket can almost be like buying a new life. Yeah. And and I agree with that. You know, you, you know, a certain garment can come into your life and it can completely change everything. It, it can lead you on a, on a, a you know, a new aesthetic quest. And I do believe that that is, that that has happened with some people who were not there um, at the beginning, shall we say, or yeah. who yeah. may not have had a deeper, you know, um, understanding. Basically what I'm saying is that you have to start somewhere like we all did. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some, it's going to be just passing through. And right. for all this, it's going to be, wait a minute, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, which, the uh, ones who are going to stay here are probably smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just the fact that, I think it's just the fact that that Powell exists and still today is, is a tense testament of the strength of the work itself. Uh because they haven't really done anything new in like what twelve years, or something like that. Ten years, mm-hmm. twelve years. Mm-hmm. But but there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they continue turning out garments, and there is an audience for them, which which I find fascinating. That mm-hmm. kind of longevity does not really exist in fashion for a lot of people. If we think about um, it, actually, it's been a while. It's been no, a minute, right? <laughs> it, ha- it has been a minute. I, I don't. I think that there are. I, I think. I think this idea of is this. Uh, I don't think I've ever. This is. This is unprecedented. Yeah, I think it's unprecedented, Eugene. That you know, um, a designer can keep a maison afloat simply by doing what they've always done. There is, and for such a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me think about it. Um, Maybe even do a little bit of research. But um, I think that that's kind of a, I don't think I've ever come across something like that before. Um, I don't think that it would would have worked if it would have been women's wear because uh, right. women's wear has a tendency to, to, to be a bit more, shall we say, uh, changeable, whereas mm-hmm. men's wear is sort of rooted in, quote unquote, the classics. And Carol's work is, at first glance, quite classic. Mm-hmm. So that um, sort of helps Something else which I think um, should never be overlooked is the fact that Carol shuts the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk. And um, he lets the clothing do the talking. 
And so we are forced to draw our own conclusions about what it is we're supposed to think. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is also, I think, propelling the sort of cult-like status because there's a void there. And you can sort of project what you want those clothing to be about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I do feel that this is an artifact of a bygone era. And for me personally, it's hard to imagine someone like Powell starting out today and doing something so radical and say like not being all over social media or not putting it on an influencer or celebrity or whatnot Mm -hmm. and sort of really letting the you know the garments themselves the stores and really the audience uh create this mythology Mm -hmm. around the brand Mm -hmm. because that's what happened you know the, the brand is surrounded by a kind of mythology that's acquired it's self-perpetuating you know like you go on youtube now and you have like 19 year old kids who literally weren't born uh (laughs) when when the clothes were around kind of talking it up and talking about it with the fascination uh, which i think is wonderful uh in the world where everything changes so quickly and one thing is forgotten five seconds after it came out to have a new generation having you know what what i hope is a genuine appreciation for uh carol and not just you know not just a superficial look at me kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i just can't think of a designer coming out today and doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I think um, to sort of respond to that, I think I would have to break it up into two two parts. So one is the, um, the concept behind uh, Carol's clothing, you know, this kind of um, investigative, um, you know, um, you know, garment focused, um, um, intelligent uh, concept um, behind construction and then the actual pieces themselves. So I do believe that um, um, a that from a conceptual point of view, um, a Paul could exist today. Now, if whether or not they will be able to um, reach the mainstream or even cult status, that is something that is. Um, Probably not likely if given the fact that, you know, there isn't, you know, influencers or celebrities involved because, you know, it, it, there's a lot of noise out there. And it, it, that's usually what it takes to to get noticed. 
either that or, or a certain kind of outrageousness. Um, but the other part of the equation is the clothing. And um, no, there will never be another. Uh, there won't be. Um, and it's impossible um, because um, his vision was quite singular. And you would have to have, you know, an identical um, uh, sensibility in order to produce garments of that nature. And I think that um, there are so many, um, I think that he as a person is a very, very, very interesting individual. Obviously, you can see that. I mean, this is, you know, this is why I said that um, it's, um, you know, I do believe that there's an artist here creating clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would have to, you know, um, um, you would be able to produce the concept, some of the conceptual ideas, but they wouldn't look the same. Personally, right. um, and I'm, I'm going off on a, on, on a, on a tangent here, I think right now is actually the perfect moment for Paul uh, to, to make a return because we are seeing, and albeit it may be somewhat trend-driven, um, but we are seeing a, uh, a return to tailoring. Um, mm-hmm. And we are seeing um, an elevation of, 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 of you know, of, of, of classics. Um, men are beginning or to dress up more. There's becoming up, there's more of an appreciation. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's the, the typical swing of the pendulum of, you know, fashion, you know, where, yeah. you know, we, we go from, you know, a kind of a casual to something a bit more formal. It's just what happens. But now would be the perfect time for him to, to re-emerge um, with his certain sensibility and it would... Well, it, it could quite possibly draw gasps. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Although I was thinking ab- about his last collection, which, yeah, like we said, it's been like 12 years or something. It's crazy. The The Dead End Seams collection that he did, which I mm-hmm. believe was his last major effort. And I remember looking at those garments and I haven't changed my mind in 12 years. And I was thinking, how the fuck do you top that? I just, those patterns must have been absolutely mind blowing because it's an absolutely new way of cutting a garment because the seams are actually decorative uh, because they, they mm-hmm. because since they don't meet, that's a whole new, you know, they don't serve a function uh, in a way, you know, when you cut the patterns and then construct the jacket from panels. So instead of like two back panels, now you have to have one. Uh, and that to me was just astounding. Uh, an astounding example of make it new. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You know, you see, that kind of investigative um, approach to tailoring is something that could really come out of an independent house. 
um, because you have the time to actually explore that idea. You know, um, uh, you know, typical seasonal fashion um, are limited by time. They're also limited by money. In, in, the, in the sense that um, you have to make things in time in order to make the money. So I am certain that um, fashion is littered with brilliant ideas that never really come to fruition because there simply isn't enough time to, to, to actually mature those ideas. Mm-hmm. And so this new way of cutting... Um, you know, this, this technical feat, and it is that, um, you can only see from someone who is in charge of their own house and is able to take the time without those kind of restraints. Um, it's like the twisted seam trousers, you know, um, that I mentioned earlier. First of all, how do you think of that? That's number one. Yeah. Um, and then number two, um, how do you actually bring that to life and um you know we we really need him right now we really do yeah. you know this it would be now would be the perfect moment for him to mm. yeah to just put out bold dazzling propositions and um yeah mm. um do you remember another technical feed? Do you remember U-shaped trousers that were literally like a letter U where the legs started and then made a U-turn? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That was another one of the things where I was like, this is insane. And that is, you know, that to me pushing the boundaries just for the sake of pushing them. I, I find that really attractive. There's something very human about that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and but, I but, totally but, agree with you. Yes. Go ahead. But yeah, I was, I, was, I was going to say, but yet, you know, the, um, the, the silhouette um, um, is not particularly challenging. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's often overlooked, you know, because it's a kind of a newness, a kind of inventiveness that doesn't particularly shout. You know, you, you have to know about it in order to know about it. At, you know, from a glance, it's just a nice fitting pair of slim trousers. Um, but if you know, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's sort of overlooked. Uh, it, uh, uh, you mentioned about um, humanity. Oh, yeah. um, in, 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 in Carol's work. And the, I'm just going to say two words here and that will sort of neatly sum up the humanity and that is sex and death. Okay, next topic. Mm. Okay. Uh, no, I think we should dwell on sex and death mm-hmm. because I think that, you know... Uh, <laughs> Sex should be added to death and taxes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think when they made the uh, death and taxes uh, saying, I just think they weren't really allowed to talk about sex, but it's really sex, death, and taxes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, can you elaborate on, on, on what you 
what you see in terms of sex and death. Um, yeah, yeah, story. yeah. Well, you know, um, there is. Um, well, I think the the aspect of death, I think, is quite um, apparent. You know, with the exploration of the macabre. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of um, human hair used for padding, you know, blood used for dyeing, just the, you know, the, the act of using leather alone is sort of a, sort of a deathly act. Mm-hmm. But the idea of sex um, is something that you is a bit more apparent in his women's work because of what it says in terms of the um, um, reveal and non-reveal of the body. And Mm -hmm. this idea for men where there is a kind of imposing of another body onto yours. Mm-hmm. And um, there, you know, th- there is also um, this um, exploration of undergarments, whilst while they may not be of a sexual nature, they are garments that are closest to your body. And this idea of, you know, um, underwear, long johns, tank tops, and sort of elevating those with construction techniques, um, which are then meant to be worn on the outside, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of hints at the kind of it hints at the body underneath. Um, I haven't thought about that enough, mm-hmm. um, but there is definitely, you know, the that humanity comes from the exploration. I think of both mm-hmm. sex and and death in his clothing. Mm-hmm. What I like about. Uh, another thing I like about his work is we kind of touched upon it, but I think to sum it up, I think there's a fundamental conflict between uh, what, almost wanting to erase the wearer because you provide the clothes with the body already, uh, but the inability to do so because the wearer is always there and the personality of the wearer is always there. And the humanity of the wearer is always there. So there is this fundamental tension, um, which I love. You know, it's mm-hmm. not not necessarily something I would want to live with each day, like I said. But mm-hmm. as an idea um, that makes you simply aware of the clothes and mm-hmm. and isn't what that what fashion is about on some level. Mm-hmm. It's really being aware of the clothes themselves. That's what mm-hmm. I like. Um, mm-hmm. 
you you obviously you've interacted with poem in person right um yeah but 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 minimally minimally okay i was just wanted to ask if you've ever asked him about his tastes in art or music or literature or whatnot oh god no you, oh no. no oh no <clears throat> absolutely not mm. absolutely not would, i can describe him i can describe what he was wearing <laughs> yeah i i wonder guarantee you he's read kafka like i said uh, i remember someone saying yeah. that he loves uh Egon Schiele, which which would make sense. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Eugene, when you were talking about Kafka, I, I meant to return to that because that's exactly what I think of when I see his work. Is he gone, Schiele? Unquestionably, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Once again, we're, we're talking about sex and death too, correct? Right. You know, and you right. can you can see that kind of you know you know that kind of uh, that 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 tension, that vibrancy, that 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 struggle. You know, this kind of um, you know uh, the, the elongation of the of, of the line. You know, this this sort of you know the the tension that treads between sanity and insanity. You know, uh, between you know um, uh, the normal and the abnormal. I mean, it's it, it's. I mean, the, the parallels, you can just go on and on, really. I mean, mm. he, you know, obviously he's probably, you know, um, he's probably an ancestor. A, a what? An ancestor. You know, he's, he's, an, he's an probably ancestor, a, yeah. a great-grandson. Yeah, Egan <laughs> yeah, Schiele. Yeah, no, the more I think about it, you, if you look at Egan Schiele's work, there's a lot of, for example, the exaggeration of the joints you know, the, in his mm -hmm. art the elbows and the knees and you can see that the mm -hmm. whole you know with titanium inserts or the joints um of the garments that are made from a, a different fabric um yeah and i think even like an object dying where that make the clothes uh sort of very uniform uh and, mm -hmm. and give them a different shape um, um there is a lot there is a lot going on there that you can trace back to, uh, I think, to Shelley's. Um, I also wonder if you have any insight as to the drip technique he's used in his last collection um, for the footwear. I'm afraid not. Who knows? Crazy no Carol. <laughs> yeah. 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 No insight. Um, I, I, I can um, I can remember being wildly hesitant um, to buy them. And I think initially um, I bought a size run with maybe a, a few duplicates in a size 10 or a size 11. And, um, you know, they, they didn't last a week. And so uh -huh. it was a constant reorder, you know. So I, I you know, I just, I, I had a very difficult time um, seeing that someone would want to buy shoes that would be very inhibiting to walk in, especially men. What was, where my limitation came in was that, um, that there is a, um, a tremendous um, aesthetic satisfaction by just looking 
at those shoes. So I'm sure a lot of people who bought them, sure, of course, I've seen people wear them. But most of them were, were sort of looked at, were sort of bought and kept in a box and put on a shelf, you know, because they are truly unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to the idea of clothes as an object, of Paul really making clothes, even though they're meant to be worn. But there's also a bit of a shift in perspective that he puts into the clothes where they aren't seen as sometimes as clothes primarily meaning primarily serving a function of being worn or covering your body or protecting it or having a utilitarian aspect, but rather than becoming clothes as objects in themselves. You know, um, on some levels, I'm against that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, I've had um, uh, some very um, intense discussions and a bit of research about this idea. And this sort of goes into that question of newness. Um, so, you know, um, I think that all designers should be very, very concerned with this, with the question of what's new. I think that's very, very important for any designer. But I think that that question should be immediately followed with what's good. Mm-hmm. Because we don't need newness for newness sake. And um, I think it's important. Um, and I, I want to stress that, you know, this is just my, my take on it. Huh? I'm not saying mm-hmm. that it's absolute or right. Um, but um, um, I, I, I do believe that, you know, fashion, even if it's fashion with a capital F, is there to serve a purpose. And that, um, you know, a coat should at least attempt to keep you warm. Okay. Right. You know, it it may not, it may may fail disastrously, but it should attempt to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we are um, designing, if designers are, are proposing garments, that um, no one needs a sculpture for the body. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need clothing. And if you're going to be proposing sculptures for the body, then it's art. Okay, so you mm-hmm. should get out of that system and you should show those clothing in galleries. You should show those pieces in galleries because that's where they belong. Okay, because mm-hmm. art is useless. It doesn't do anything. Fashion serves a right. purpose. Okay, and I think that, um, you know, Designers have to understand that at the end of the day, they are serving a purpose. You know, they're at our service. And, um, you know, when, when you, when designers step outside of that, you know, 
where that boundary is, Eugene, I wouldn't even begin to be able to yeah. to say where, you know, where mm. someone crosses the line. I know it when <laughs> I see it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do, do you think Poel straddles that the, line? There's one designer well. in particular. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, uh, no, 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 I don't. I don't. I think that um, I think that um, there's a bit of the theater of the absurd with Carol, but never the theater of ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's that's the difference. Right. Right. Um, cool. Well, on that note, uh, I, I, I think it's actually a fantastic uh, thought to land on and to wrap up. Um, unless you have any other final thoughts we haven't discussed. No, not that I can think of. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, Carlo, uh, once again, thank you for being here. The most pleasant and enlightening discussion. And I hope our listeners feel the same way. And uh, yeah, until the next time. Thank you. Looking forward to it, Eugene. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.